Hold up. Wait a minute. Can leaders sin in any way and get off scot-free? Are anointings, giftings, and callings as an apostle irrevocable? Is there anything that would disqualify someone from Christian ministry? All that and more on this episode of Churchpreneurs. Let's get this. Welcome to this episode of Church Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Richard Moore. In this podcast, I talk about everything that's moving me in relation to church and theology, hopefully to empower you in your ministry, church, Bible study, theological understanding, and most importantly, your spiritual growth in Christ. Please like and subscribe and share it. It really helps YouTube algorithms get this content out to more people. As you may have noticed, I've been following the Mike Bickle scandal and IHOP uh, quite in depth. One thing I've noticed is now on message boards and a lot of comments and things like that and other places that people are using the verse Romans eleven twenty nine where it says the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. Now I've seen this verse used and applied to Mike Bickle as of late, but other leaders as well in the NAR movement and in other extreme Christian movements, they would use this to say that the gifting and calling of this person are irrevocable. All they need to do is to be restored to ministry. However, that passage is not about one spiritual gifting they receive from the Holy Spirit. It's just as clear as it could be. I was like, hold up, wait a minute, put a little love in it. Man. know that song uh, that's a shout out to family force five i'm a youth pastor uh if those of you who are watching don't know so i listened to all sorts of uh, wild music through the years and uh family force five uh that just reminded me like hold up wait a minute when people use that verse i'm thinking like hold up uh wait a minute <laughs> that's not what that passage is about i've heard it in more places than one in regard to apostles and prophets who've fallen or had some other indiscretion, um, i.e. money laundering, sexual sin, criminal activity, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, most lately even divorce and remarriage. Now you say, Richard, wait a minute, that's a long list. There's a lot, that's a lot. All that stuff has happened within, I'm gonna say the last 10 years. Those are real things, the list I just gave you. They use this verse uh, to mean that apostles and prophets uh, giftings as apostles and prophets and their calling as an apostle and prophets are irrevocable. No matter what, no matter the indiscretion, no matter the sin, no matter the this, that, or the other thing, whatever uh, problem or moral failing they may have, their calling as an apostle and prophet and maybe their anointing are irrevocable. First of all, we do not have apostles and prophets in governmental leadership of churches anymore. And those who claim that the governmental leadership of apostles and prophets is for today are wrong. The New Testament lays out the ongoing church government as pastors, 
elders, deacons, and or you can call them maybe overseers. The, the text calls them overseers as well. Not apostles and prophets. So an apostle and prophet is the wrong terminology or the wrong form of church governance from the beginning. To begin with, it's the wrong form of church governance. And secondly, um, if an elder has disqualified himself, according to Titus and Timothy, then he's disqualified. Of course, let's just be gracious, first of all, for, from, from, the, from the front. All of us are screwed up. We all sin. And of course, we're sanctified sinners. Luther said, he coined the phrase, this, this Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator simultaneously justified and sinners. However, the Bible is clear. The standard for pastors and elders and deacons is a much higher standard. So let's go to, let's get to our scriptures. I've got it on my screen up here. Titus 1, 7 to 9 lays out the qualifications for an overseer. So let's just read here. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. That's Titus 1, verses 7 and 9. Then Paul lays out as well in Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3, uh, another similar, very similar uh, set of qualifications for an overseer. He says, the saying is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, that's an office. Now see, uh, the office of apostle and prophet do not exist anymore. The office of overseer is our governmental form of church leadership. And I will die on that hill. Um, so people who say that this, that, and the other apostle, this, that, and the other prophet, they're wrong. The office of overseer or the office of pastors is talking about pastor, elders, and deacons are the ones who serve the physical needs of the church. Um, that is our form of Christian church governance. So he over, if he aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for, the, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be, become puffed up with conceit and fall into the temptation and condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So, these are the qualifications of a pastor, elder, teacher, overseer in the church, the office of overseer. So, Mike Bickle, in my opinion, is no longer above reproach which makes him disqualified. He doesn't teach sound doctrine, disqualified. And he's maybe not the husband of one wife. As Jesus said, if you sleep with another woman, then you've committed adultery and have many wives. 
So he's disqualified if that's, if that's true. So he's already disqualified two ways, but he might be disqualified a third way. We don't know. We have to see if those allegations um, are investigated and the accuracy and the truthfulness of them is corroborated. If these allegations are true, he's not self-controlled either. Disqualified. Those two aspects also, if true, make him disqualified. So he's disqualified on two. He's not above reproach and he doesn't teach sound doctrine. He may not be the husband of one wife. He may be the husband of many wives who have who he has slept with or had sexual relationships with. And the third, he may not be self-controlled if those things are true. So he does not meet the biblical qualifications given by Paul of an elder or overseer. So you say, he might not be above reproach. What do you mean about above reproach? The definition of above reproach is a cause or occasion for blame or discredit or disgrace. He has been discredited. He has been disgraced. Being above reproach, that means he has no cause for discredit or disgrace. He has a cause for discredit and disgrace. If any of those accusations are true, if any of the things that have happened over the last 25 years of his church are true, especially in the sexual allegations, not only to him, but the sexual allegations of their their people there, the, the, the students at IHOPU, the people who come to Kansas City for the prayer room, etc. It sounds like a culture of sexual repression and maybe even rape. We don't know. There's lots of allegations of rape. If those things are true, then his church, the ministry that he has set up is not above reproach. So it is a reproach on the name of Jesus Christ for them to call themselves a Christian church and have these activities happening at their church. That is a reproach. It causes discredit or disgrace on the name of Christ and himself and their church. They, are, they have become disgraced. And so the fact that a number of people have, been, have even brought up charges against him, and a large number of people, not just a few, not just one or two, but a large number of people, and they, the, the, the advocates for these people, this group of people, were pastors and executive leadership of their church, that makes these allegations makes his entire ministry no longer above reproach. Plus all the false visions that I brought up and identified in my previous video, go have a look at that. Um, they make him a false teacher. Allegations from several different people, several different sources are a huge discredit. Accusations are a discredit. Thus he is not above reproach and therefore disqualified from eldership, pastorate and the overseer. He might be disqualified in four ways, which I just laid out. He's definitely disqualified in two ways, but probably disqualified in four. We'll just have to see if the sexual allegations are accurate. Then he is the husband of many wives, has had sexual relationships with many wives. So, and he's not self-controlled if those allegations are true. So what does the passage in Romans eleven twenty nine mean? that many people misuse to apply to the Holy Spirit's calling. So when we looked at, at texts of Scripture, the first and primary law in interpretation of Scripture is context is king. Look at the immediate context, and it usually will clarify itself. So the immediate context of this passage of Scripture, this one verse that people use, gifting and calling of God are irrevocable. That's the, that's the verse, 1129 of Romans. The immediate context clarifies this verse immediately. Let me read it for you real quick. I'm going to read from 1125 on through 1133. The, the whole 
section there is really good to read, but just for time's sake, I'm going to read this shortly. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take their, away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards, as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. 29 now. This is the verse they use. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received his mercy because of their disobedience. So God allowed for the Gentiles to be partakers through the disobedience of Israel. We've been invited. So, verse 31, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may have or receive, now receive mercy. For God has consigned all disobedience so that they may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. So, the gift and the calling of God is pretty clear here. It obviously refers to the privileges and the calling of God granted to Israel. For the gifts and the calling, and this is interesting, the Greek probably uh, means uh, irrevocable, uh, means without repentance or not to be or cannot be repented of. So the calling of God in this case is meant that the sovereign act of God in the exercise of his free choice called Abraham to be the father of a peculiar people, a particular people with the gifts of God and here it denotes the articles of the covenant by which God made Abraham and constituted a distinction between his and all other families of the earth. Both of these distinctions by which Abraham was called by God are irrevocable, says the Apostle Paul. He refers to this as the final destiny of the Israelite nation. It's pretty clear that Romans 11 is emphasizing and confirming the perpetuity of the Abrahamic covenant, that the covenant is not null and void, that the Abrahamic covenant exists on in perpetuity. It means it's eternal. It, it, it continues. It's not revocable. It cannot be revoked. God does not revoke it. And lest you say that the Abrahamic covenant is null and void because of the gospel, no, we are included in, we are grafted into the tree, to the Abrahamic line through the gospel. Now, the details of this, there's lots of theological backgrounds behind this that I don't need to get into. There's nuance here for sure. But this passage of scripture is not talking about an apostolic or prophetic anointing or calling or this or that or the gifting in the Holy Spirit. Lots of passages on the spiritual gifts. This is not one of them. This is definitely talking about Israel. The Abrahamic covenant is irrevocable, that it exists in perpetuity. So the gifts, the calling are without repentance is what the kind of the actual Greek could be rendered as irrevocable is a better word for us to understand in English, but without repentance, meaning God cannot repent from his covenant with Abraham. This passage pretty clearly is describing that God 
his call for Abraham, his election of Abraham, his election of him by grace and uh, through faith, uh, as Hebrews 11 talks about, is irrevocable. That Abraham and his covenant, the covenant, Abrahamic covenant, cannot be repented of without repentance. And thus, God will save a remnant of Israel, whether you think of that as the 144,000, an actual number or a spiritual number or what have you, that's where the nuance comes. But this is talking about a physical remnant will be saved, that they are beloved, that they're the apple of God's eye, Israel. It is not talking about apostolic gifts, spiritual gifts, calling to ministry, calling of any other type. It is the calling of God, the the Abrahamic covenant. So when someone tries to defend a false teacher or a disgraced supposed Christian leader by saying the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, you say, hold up, wait a minute. Yeah, for Israel, but not for disqualified supposed Christian leaders. So that's it for this episode. Uh, please like and subscribe and share it. It really helps YouTube algorithms get this content out to more people. And if you're listening to this on a podcast, please leave a review. I know uh, many of you are really, really touched by this Mike Bickle and IHOP situation. And some of you are reeling. You're disoriented. You're hurting. So on the next episode, I want to give you all some pastoral hope um, in these tough situations. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Churchpreneur's Podcast. You can find out more information at my website at richardpmore.net. I also blog at richardpmore.blogspot.com. You're welcome to follow me on Twitter or X if you do that kind of thing still, at richardpmore23. You can also email me at churchpreneurs at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. If you have any ideas for a podcast or questions or comments, please reach out on one of those platforms. Until next time, God bless and take care.